The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. We are concluding our study in this letter we call Ephesians today. And um, as we do, we're going to entitle this, Where is Your Support System? It seems to me that as Paul finishes this letter, and many of his letters are like this, Romans especially, my, he goes through a long list of support that he received from others. And here it's a, a little shorter list. But when you think about support systems, it's a common uh, phrase that's used. And um, psychologists talk about a support system as a support system is a group of people who provide you with mental, emotional, and practical support when you need it most. And uh, what a blessing to have others who support you, who you can support as well. So what are some traits of a healthy support system? And I love this note. Your support system should consist of the following. If you are in someone else's support system, make sure to provide these as well. So the list begins with accountability. It's very important that if we are in a support role with one another, that there are areas where we are being held accountable so that we can achieve the goals that we've set, so we can be the people that God wants us to be, and um, whatever that area happens to be. Secondly, fellowship. How about this? I mean, it's so important that we're with a group of people that we can relate to, that we share interests with, and that they will support when we're ill or when we're in crisis and through all of life's serious dilemmas. Fellowship. Thirdly, education. It's good to know that if you're in a support group or you're with a support system, you, within it you're growing, you're, you're, you're learning from one another. You know, the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So there's some education that's taking place through this support system and a purpose. Every one of us has a purpose. I hope you understand your purpose. But if you're trying to find it out, sometimes a support system can really help in that journey. And finally, self-care. You should involve self-care into your support system. It is not always up to the people in your life to support you. It is your supporting yourself as well. Give yourself plenty of rest. Eat healthy. Make pick-me-up plans for when you're feeling down. Well, that's some of the words from psychologists, but as we turn to the Scripture today, this is what we're going to find. In Ephesians 6, 19 to 24, we find four vital components in the Apostle Paul's support system. Divine support, prayer support, team support, audible support. Let me read the text for you. This is from Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 18 because I don't want to gloss over 18. I want to make sure we say a word or two about it. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. <clears throat> with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, 
that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. May God give us wisdom today as we look at these words. And we begin with the divine support. Paul, I'm intrigued in this letter in several places, we're just going to look at four of them, describes himself. And he says in verse 20, I am an ambassador in chains. Very interesting description, an ambassador in chains. The word ambassador is used twice in the scriptures, an envoy. It suggests someone older with experience. That, that's in the term itself. And You know, an ambassador would have official power and authority to represent his home country or her home country. The goal is to represent the king and the culture. And mistreatment in the ancient world of an ambassador wasn't just a breach of protocol. It could lead to war. I mean, that's how seriously this was understood. Webster describes an ambassador as a diplomatic minister of the highest order, an intermediary. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul describes us as Christ's ambassadors. And I I want to read this passage because it really is an important word that he gives us about this ministry as ambassadors of Christ. So from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a term of restoring relationship, establishing relationship. And that, that's really what reconciliation is all about. So as he goes on, he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Amen. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, isn't that a strong term? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this whole idea of being an ambassador is a big deal. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. He doesn't minimize the cost he's paying having now been sent to Rome as a prisoner for preaching the gospel. That's why he's there. And he says, these aren't ornamental chains. These are iron-clad chains holding him as a prisoner. He tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the chains. Don't be ashamed of that. Paul knows the cost, yet he trusts in the sovereign king who sent him as an ambassador to watch over him. Now, ultimately, Paul will lay down his life. Not in this imprisonment, we believe, but in a later imprisonment. And Nero will have his head removed. That's how he will die. But he's still an ambassador in chains. In chapter 1, in verse 1, when he began the letter, he called himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He is sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is an apostle, a sent one, and it's by the will of God. This wasn't his choice. He didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'll be an apostle. Ah, no, no. God called him on the Damascus road, and God prepared him to be an apostle. And he says in chapter 2 and verse 20 of this letter that apostles form the foundation of the church. And so it's a very important role, and he uses the full title, Christ that is Messiah, Savior, Jesus, his earthly name. He uses that full title to describe that he is truly an apostle of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Once again, recalling the suffering he's enduring, he calls himself a prisoner, but not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ. He's still under Christ's reign. He's still under Christ's rule. He's there because the Lord Jesus Christ has sent him there. And he understands that and he embraces this. He was appointed to spread the gospel. I think God had an interesting way of spreading gospel, often through suffering. That's really odd when you think about it. That's not something we want to, you know, maybe think about, but it's true. Look at this very beginning in Acts chapter 9 when he was saved. The Lord sent this man Ananias. He said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, speaking of Paul, and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And now many years later, he's an old man now, and he's still living that out as a prisoner of Christ. This was God's appointed method. How's he going to get the message to Nero? Through the Apostle Paul. How is the word going to be spread in Rome? Through the Apostle Paul, who is now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then finally in chapter 3, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. A servant. Many places he describes himself as a slave of Christ. John does it, James does it, Peter does it. They all say, I'm a slave of Christ. But here he says, I'm a servant of the gospel, the message, this good news message. 
Everything I do, everything I plan, everything I pray revolves around the gospel. See? And that's what Paul says. He is a servant. It's not the same word as slave. It's the word used for deacons, actually. He is 100% committed to this message of the good news that changed his life. And he knows will change the lives of others as well. When he's writing to Rome... Uh, before he arrives, uh, and, he, and he, says, he says this in, in chapter 1 of Romans, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. This is Romans 1, and then verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Hallelujah. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous or just shall live by faith. So this is how he describes himself. An ambassador in chains. Apostle of Christ Jesus, a prisoner of Christ, a servant of the gospel. Some of you know that Tim Keller, pictured there on the right, passed into his reward into eternity last week. And uh, he had some interesting things to say before God took him home. He said, I'll be better when I'm dead. (laughs) Death can only make me better. It can only make me better. Isn't that sweet? And he was so excited to know that he was going to see Jesus face to face. He had been battling pancreatic cancer. And he says, man, there were many nights we wept and cried. It stinks. But we also still had that hope. He told his wife not long before he died, I know Jesus rose from the dead. You cannot convince me otherwise. And that resurrection of Jesus gave him hope. And helped him through the journey. Well, John Piper's his good friend. He's pictured there on the left. So Piper posted a little podcast of his last conversations with Keller. I found this so interesting. And he said, in our text messages, Keller pointed out this verse. Now, this is when The disciples came back, and they're reporting to Jesus all that they had been doing, and even demons were submitting to their words by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. (laughs) That's, That's much more important. It's not your service. It's the salvation that God has given you that you celebrate. And, and, and <clears throat> Keller said he understood that Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great Welsh preacher of years past, meditated on this before he died, and Keller was drawn to the same verse. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. How do you describe yourself? Don't leave God out. (laughs) That's the bottom line here. The divine support you get from the Lord is the most infinite supply of support you'll ever have. 
he gives according to his riches, not out of. He's not losing any riches when he gives to you. One of our worship team just reminded us of this before we came out while we were praying today. Isn't that beautiful? Don't leave God out of the equation. His support is essential. He is your number one supporter, your number one enabler, right? This letter elevates God from the first to the last. And in our lives, let us elevate the Lord. I've told you this before, but you know it, but it's true. God plus one is always a majority. God plus one is always a majority. I was reminded that, of that this week from the Daily Bread. Looking at Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know why we remember their Babylonian names better than their Hebrew names. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you might remember, were serving under King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had put up this idol, and when they blew the trumpets and stuff, they were supposed to <coughs> bow down. And Daniel's three friends said, we we're not going to bow down. And the king was pretty mad about it, and he threatened to throw them into the fire if they refused to bow down. So this is what they said to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand, your majesty's hand. Now, the next verse goes on to say, even if he doesn't, don't ever tell anybody that we bowed down to your idol. Yeah. <laughs> right? So they had practical faith, but real faith. And who showed up in the furnace? Do you remember? When he looks in, he sees four instead of three. And when they walk out, they don't even smell of smoke. Even though the furnace was so hot, the guards that threw him in died. It was so hot. God plus one is always a majority. You have divine support. And Paul expressed this so clearly just simply by how he described himself. But we're not done yet. Look at this. How about the prayer support? I wanted us to look at verse 18 because it's such a great verse. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's a famous Puritan by the name of William Garnell, and he wrote a great book on the armor of God. It's like 1,600 pages. Those Puritans, man, they, they were verbose. <laughs> a full quarter of his book is devoted to this verse because in his mind, that was the most important. Pray in the Spirit, yeah. Yeah. The Spirit lives in you. Pray in the Spirit. Pray according to the leading of the Spirit in your life. Ask the Spirit to lead you as you're praying. With all kinds of prayers. Yeah, you can pray about everything. You don't need special words. You don't need incantations. You just share your heart. Sometimes the most precious prayers are the most desperate prayers, aren't they? You just don't know what else to pray. And, and we even have that promise in Romans that when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit interprets our groans. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? All kinds of prayers. And always keep on praying. That reminded me of our verse for the year, pray continually. 
<laughs> That's one of our verses from 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It is the shortest verse in the Bible, by the way. The shortest verse in the Bible is not, and Jesus wept. That's three words. This is only two. <laughs> Pray continually. Be alert. Be awake. And always keep on praying for all God's people. Intercessory prayer for one another. So we could summarize it this way. Pray for everybody in every way at all times under the Holy Spirit's leading. That summarizes verse 18. But how about as he gets into the descriptions of his specific situation? Now, he's imprisoned, maybe under house arrest. And um, this is not the imprisonment that would lead to his death. That he was later, he was released and then later imprisoned that led to that. But he is in prison as he writes this letter and he also wrote Colossians, and he also wrote Philippians at this time. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, you see, you couldn't stop him from speaking. <laughs> because God's word is never chained, right? God's word is never put in chains. You can't do it. I found out even on the internet. Anyway, <laughs> pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. It is a mystery, sacred secret, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So two times he uses this incredible word, fearlessly. One commentator says, it's boldness is a gift granted the Christian for direct access to God in prayer. It is used that way. We have free speech. We can pray to God about anything and everything at any time. And for the freedom to proclaim the gospel of his son. So as you study the word boldness, okay, it doesn't just mean loud. In fact, it may never mean loud, <laughs> even though I just said it very loud. It means clear. When you're sharing the gospel, you want to be clear. Isn't it frustrating when you're trying to share the gospel and somebody's looking at you like a deer in headlights? Because you're just not making much sense. When you're saying it boldly, it's clear. It's probably concise. I have a problem. It's a theologically shaped mouth. Sometimes I answer questions people aren't even asking. Right? Just be concise. And it does, of course, mean confident. I mean, when you share the gospel, you believe it. That's why you want to share it with somebody else. And there is that courageousness in it. That's also in the word, no doubt. And it's all over the book of Acts. You, you see it again and again and again, 10 times in the book of Acts. And they proclaimed boldly, and then they asked to be bolder, get in more trouble. That's kind of, kind of just the way it goes. But, but look at this. In, in, in the book of Acts, at the very end, the very end of the book, <clears throat> he's still in prison. And it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I mean, if you're chained to him, you're going to hear the gospel. You know, when he... When he when he's writing from Philip to the Philippians, he says, everybody in the guard knows who I am. And by the way, there are people preaching the gospel with impure motives, he says, and I don't care. What matters is the gospel's being preached. I say this to the staff so often they laugh at me, but, you know, they laugh at me a lot, but I understand. Anyway, God blesses people I disagree with. 
Hallelujah. His gospel goes forth. Hallelujah. And that's what Paul's kind of saying in Philippians. He doesn't really care. He'd been thrown in prison and it's all right. Gospel's getting preached. That's what it's all about. He's asking for an open door, he says. And I love when Paul, when Jesus spoke to the church at Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, but, you know, Philadelphia and Asia Minor, he said, I'm going to open a door and no man can shut it. Isn't that great? When God opens a door, when God's going to save a soul, no man can shut it. Oh, they'll try. Even the devil will try, but he ain't going to be successful. That's the beauty of it. And that's what Paul's asking for, an opportunity to share the gospel, and he's looking for success. In the letter to the Thessalonians, he says the gospel runs. It always runs. It's not in chains. Isn't that beautiful? These are just beautiful thoughts about the prayer support that he desires. Now, some years ago, when I first started here, I won't tell you how long ago, but it was our anniversary this month. Anyway, um, Colossians, we talked about this passage, and, I, and we made this pact, P-A-C-T. Pray strategically. Be strategic about your praying. Act wisely, particularly, as he says in the verses, with those who don't know Christ yet. Converse gracefully. Let your conversation be always full of grace and thank God continually. So that's a good summary of similar I think it's striking that Paul doesn't pray for escape. <laughs> he doesn't even pray for a good outcome when he goes to court. Now, he is going to go to court, and he is going to speak in the court, and he says in the Timothy letter in that trial scene that he was all alone, but God stood with him so he could still be bold and fearless. All right, how about this? Team support. Tychicus, anybody going to have a son? Maybe she could name him Tychicus. It, it, it's a great name, actually. It's, it's a very Asian name. It's a very Roman name. And it, and it means um, small fortune. And, and Tychicus was a small fortune to the Apostle Paul. He's a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. And, and his mission was the postman. He and Onesimus are going to deliver the letter. And they're going to exchange information about what's going on with Paul. And Paul, they're going to learn about what's going on with them. And then they're going to go back to Paul and, uh, and report. And, and all of this sums up that he may encourage you. Oh, and I love that word, encourage. It's one of my favorite words in this language. 105 times in the New Testament to speak from an alongside position. It's a title for the, the Holy Spirit. He is the great encourager, the comforter, the counselor. Parakletos, if you have to know what it is in Greek. You can impress when you go to lunch today, Parakletos. I've told you this before, I remind you again. The word encompasses broad meaning. It can mean to give somebody a hug. Man, when life's really tough and you're hurting, hey, Ned, I want to give you a hug and your wife, right? Hope she's healing up from that broken leg. Sometimes we just need that, right? And the Holy Spirit, have you ever gotten a hug from the Holy Spirit? Yes, you have. When he just hugged you, when he just reminded you that you're not alone and he's with you. Now, that's what it can mean. Sometimes it means a pat on the back. Hey, you're doing good. Keep doing good, right? And then sometimes it's a finger in the chest. Hey, you, you better straighten up because <laughs> it's translated exhort, 
So Tychicus was sent for these reasons, that he's going to encourage them. And uh, this is all part of the team. I mean, discipleship is about making disciples, disciple-making. He said this earlier in the letter. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, <laughs> attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we're going to be doing this until we die. All right, this is a lifelong process. And so he writes to Timothy, the personal letter to the pastor, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. <coughs> you see the chain? You see how it's being passed down? So Ed and I were talking this week, and Ed reminded me of something I've never heard before, an African proverb. That's a great picture, isn't it? Those guys in the boat. <clears throat> if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Thank you, Ed. That was a good word. A team. God gave us a team to support, and we support one another for the glory of God, by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, and that just is such an important part of support. Finally, audible support. I say this because I love encouraging words. That's part of my love language group. And he mentions three things in this benediction. Peace to the brothers and sisters. I found this picture of peace. Isn't it great? <laughs> this, this, all this water from the waterfall coming down. And here's this little bird in a nest just under the cleft, not getting hit by a drop. That's real peace, isn't it? When the storm's still raging and you still have peace. And he also speaks about love. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. It's by the miracle of God's love that he was prompted to forgive us of our sins, sent his son to, to bear the debt that we can't pay. And he did it at the cross. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We didn't earn it. He earned it, and it's for his glory. And it comes to us simply by faith in him. And so finally, grace. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Very interesting phrase. A lot of debate about this. Undying can mean immortal. And so what it could be saying is, not only are we going to receive grace from the Lord, we're going to receive immortality. Okay, it could be understood that way. Or it might be explaining God's love for us, that it's, you know, imperishable. It just continues. The NIV chooses to put it on us who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. I'm not quite sure which one to pick. Maybe it's one of those, not one or the other, but both. <laughs> Maybe it's like that. But it's a beautiful phrase, isn't it, huh? That our faith is personal. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we love him with an undying love. This letter began with grace, and it ends with grace. It's like the letter is going to explain to you grace. Now go use it. <laughs> grace to you. Go, go use it. 
Hallelujah. And so, what a beautiful support system we have here. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. He talks about the divine support that he gets from the Lord. He talks about the prayer support that he was enlisting from others. He talks about the team support of Tychicus and his ministry. And then he talks about the audible support and the benediction. So, the support system is a group of people who provide you with mental, emotional, and practical support when you need it most. And maybe when you're looking for support, you just look around at some of the relationships you already have that are potential support and that you can support for others. Show your appreciation to others. It won't hurt you to say thank you. It won't hurt you to smile, right? Just show appreciation to others. Stay in touch. That's really important. You know, we have all these means now. And, you know, the phone's watching me. It's really eerie when you're talking about something and then an ad pops up on your phone. Like, what is that? Right? Big Brother is watching. So the point is, we all have many ways to stay in touch and, uh, and use them. Be available. That's really important, isn't it? If you're going to be a support, be available to others. And if you want friends, be friendly. That's what the proverb says, and it's true. Accept help. It's really hard for some of us. We're good at giving help. We don't like to receive it, but it's okay to receive it. It's good to receive it. It's important. Keep open communication. Respect the needs and limits that we have and know when it isn't working. That's one of the other wise things that is spoken of by psychologists when they talk about support systems. Now, I pulled an old book off my shelf. It was written 50 years ago. 1973. <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school. A wise moron, that's what I was. <laughs> when this book was written, J.I. Packer, it's still a classic, Knowing God. I haven't read it for so many years. I pulled it back off the shelf and started reading it again. It's like a brand new book, like I never read it. In fact, I see stuff I underline and go, wow, yeah, that's good. And I had forgotten it, you know. It's like so good to reread this book. It's been such a blessing to me. So I want to close with this because it seems to me what I want to take away from this letter is that God is great. God is really great. And he talks about God's majesty. Packer does. The word majesty, when applied to God, is always a declaration of his greatness and an invitation to worship. He is far above us in greatness and therefore is to be adored. But this knowledge which Christians today largely lack, and that is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship so flabby. Wow. We are modern men, and modern men and women, though they cherish great thoughts of man, have as a rule small thoughts of God. Today, vast stress is laid on the thought that God is personal. And that's true. But this truth is so stated as to leave the impression that God is a person of the same sort as we are. <laughs> Weak, inadequate, ineffective, a little pathetic. But this is not the God of the Bible, Packer says. That's not the God we serve. That's not who he is. He lacks in nothing. The Bible never let 
never lets us lose sight of his majesty and his unlimited dominion over all his creatures. Dear Lord, thank you for the support you've given us and you've promised to give us to our very last breath and indeed we'll still be drawing from your support in eternity and we'll be celebrating you forever and ever. And it all began with simple faith. It's by grace we've been saved, through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. So if you're sitting here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, why not? Hopefully something said today, something sung today, something in a prayer, or even in that beautiful report from our missionaries, has prompted you to desire to put your faith in Christ. All you need to do is believe on him you'll be saved forever. So, Lord, thank you for taking us to this beautiful passage and closing this letter. May it be a great memory in our hearts to not only receive support from others and from you, but to offer support to others that they might know about our praying for them, that they might know we're teammates, that they might hear audible blessings from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.